Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Fullest Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Bostwick, and today's guest is a longtime friend of mine, Danny Beinstein, who's a psychological and intuitive astrologer based in Nashville. She offers ongoing private and group coaching as well as circles and retreats, and she is our resident astrologer here at the Fullest. And I'm just so grateful that our paths crossed. I have always appreciated your perspective on everything. You know, I think that, and we'll get into this, but astrology has been something I've been interested in for so long. I just remember having books and just going through them in high school and familiarizing myself with it because I felt like there was something there that helped me understand myself and my friends more maybe. And it was something that I loved to reference, but I never had found anyone that, I really connected with in terms of their perspective until I met you. And I, you know, I just always love to reference what you say and how you interpret what's going on. So for the first question, what I wanted to ask was astrology has been around forever. And I'm curious if there are good and bad aspects to it like what are the benefits of exploring your astrology and learning more is there like a shadow side to it as well so astrology has blown up i think because the world feels increasingly unsettled and especially those millennials of which you're one, right? Or Gen Z, those coming of age and coming into adulthood in such a precarious time, such an unsettling time, you know, we often seek answers and astrology is a way to really make sense of what's happening in the world, at least from an energetic standpoint. And then I also think, you know, just kind of with meme culture, right? Astrology has really blown up and that's not really my forte. I think memes can be really funny, but I'm always looking for the complexity and the depth. And I often find that memes are just, they're incredibly reductive. They're incredibly funny. I get it, but they're just really reductive. And the shadow side of it becoming, what you can call it that, so popular is that it's become another way for people to label other people and dismiss other people and to reduce them to, let's say, their sun sign or their moon sign and say, oh, I don't, you know, I don't get along with Pisces or I don't get along with Leo and therefore like dismiss people based on their sign, which is really no different than dismissing people based on their race, ethnicity, religion. Uh, and so that's the kind of shadow side and it coincides with our current cultural climate, which is all about labeling, which is the opposite of my approach, which is we look at the whole natal chart, which is comprised of 12 houses and 10 main celestial bodies and how they interact. And it's the complexity of being a human being. And we have all these different layers. And we also have all the signs within us, by the way. So, you know, the shadow side of it becoming so popular is that I think people are using it and weaponizing it, even which may sound like a really harsh statement, but I just see it so often. I can't have that sign as a child. I can't be with that sign. I can't be friends with that sign. Well, really? Because there's every shade of that sign. And so what does that say about us as individuals if we're like, oh, I dismissed that? Well, we probably dismiss those qualities within ourselves. It's so funny that you say that because, I mean, I definitely did that. And one sign that I was like, really trying to steer clear was Capricorn because I was like, I have a difficult relationship with the, the Capricorn in my life. And I was like, I can't be a Capricorn child. I just can't. And then I ended up being a child with a lot of Capricorn in him because I didn't think about the fact that obviously you can have every, have so many different things that are connected to the different planets or whatever. And, um, he ended up with Capricorn in so many houses. And it's funny because, like you said, you just you can't plan for things like that and you just can't cancel people based off of that. It doesn't make any sense. We're so much more than – for some reason, why is it that the sun sign is what we, as a culture, are focusing on? So 
much. I think because it's just the classic, it's when people say, what's your sign? They're referring to the sun sign and it is the core essence. So it's, it's not fully conscious. It's just kind of how the energy expresses itself. But for example, so many people think that the fire signs, which are Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius are loud. They associate it with volume and I have no idea why, but people will say, I'm not an Aries. How can I be an Aries? I'm so quiet. There's nothing to do with that, but we get these ideas in our head and Aries is just that energy really comes alive when it's taking on a new challenge and trying new things, but that can express itself in so many different ways, right? It doesn't have to just be one specific way. And so I just see that all the time. And I think it's because of meme culture right? Where we just limit people to this singular thing. But I think the sun sign is popular because when we think of astrology, people think, oh, it's your sun sign. And also horoscopes are written for the sun sign or the rising sign, but mostly for the sun sign, which doesn't even really work technically. But I think that's why. Well, what about like, what's the difference between, um, our form of astrology and then Chinese astrology or Vedic astrology. So there's Western astrology, there's Vedic astrology, and then there's right Chinese astrology. So I do think all roads lead to Rome. So it's ultimately the same thing. I'm not schooled enough in Chinese astrology or Vedic astrology to really speak to the differences, but with Chinese astrology, it's animal representation as I understand it, right? So the year of the rat, the year of the monkey, I don't know. And I'm sure it is cast for the exact moment of you're born. And there is some kind of chart. And I know the, I, the I Ching is, or I Ching is incredibly specific, but in Vedic astrology, it's, it's focus is more fatalist. Like this is going to happen to you. Right. And this is what's said to happen. Western astrology, and it's probably linked to like the idea of Western uh, independence and free will and self-determination is much more about utilizing the energy to a certain effect rather than this is going to happen to you. There is predictive Western astrology, but by and large, Western astrology has become also psychologically based. And that's because of uh, astrologers like Liz Green and Dana Redyear who really rooted in that belief system and grew that belief system. And I think it's all tethered to the more Western self-determining philosophies. So I think context really matters. Okay. That makes sense. And would you say that astrology is just as old as religion or older, or can you show us a little bit about that too? Yeah. So, well, it's interesting you bring that up because Uh, Astrology goes back to the Babylonian era, which is certainly pre-Christ, right? So from a Christian standpoint or Judeo-Christian standpoint, certainly, and certainly then Muhammad too. So the the monotheistic religions, certainly, um, it's baked in there, certainly as as old as. And then the, um, the more Eastern, you know, it's interesting because it deals with elements, Right. And when I think of more of the Eastern, you have this kind of polytheistic and these different looks at deities, but it's all really trying to make sense of the world, the material world around us and then birth and death. Right. So that's a lot of what astrology is, is like, how do I make sense of my time? Is there if you think of like ancient Greek plays, a lot of it is this mix of free will and fate. And that's a lot of what astrology is. So I all think, I think it's part of the same thread, which is to make sense of what we're doing on this green and blue ball in the middle of, you know, infinity. I, you know, I think it's like, what are we doing here? And it's all so absurd. And I think also astrology deals so much with archetypes and it's so much related. A lot of the naming of it is related to mythology, right? Like Mars being the God of war. Venus, the god of fertility, of uh, arts, of femininity, as an example. Yeah. Yeah. So then that, it it kind of goes back to this idea of tapping into our our intuition also. And our intuition, in order to make our intuition stronger, 
like you said, we want to be connected to the elements and we want to, so that, that makes total sense. I didn't realize that it goes, it dates back that far, but then it makes sense because that's what we had to base things off of. Right. And people would look up into the sky and say, okay, what is that constellation? Give it meaning. Mm -hmm. And it, it all relates to our trying to make sense of the world. But I think in modern culture, we are so, we think we're separate from nature. We think God is separate from nature. We don't yeah. see it as holistic and whole. And what I really try to impart with my work is that it's all interconnected. These things aren't separate. We are nature. We're not yeah. separate from it. We can't superimpose our mortal mind onto it. We are mm -hmm. part of it. In fact, our mind often separates us from it. And that's where a lot of dis-ease comes from, right? Is that we separate ourselves from our own embodiment, from nature, from the elements. I love that. I'm, obviously, that's exactly what I believe in. So beautiful. So, okay, let's go into a little bit about you as well. I mean, your history. And I know you're Jewish. Are, mm -hmm. or did you grow up practicing? So I actually did not, we went to synagogue and I was bat mitzvahed actually uh, in Masada, which is in Israel. But wow. I was not, yeah, it was pretty powerful. That was really, I want to see photos. <laughs> I have photos. I was, you know, uh, so just shy of my 13th birthday. So that would have been the summer of 1993. And we went there. I didn't have a you know, a big party or anything. My parents really thought it was much more meaningful to go and to meet my relatives over wow. in Israel. And yeah, I had, I did go to Hebrew school. I've, I did learn how to read Hebrew, but I actually don't remember it, which is kind of sad. So I definitely grew up and deeply culturally Jewish, grew up in New York City, right? One of the largest populations of Jewish people around the world. So definitely deeply embedded. When I hit college age, I became deeply fascinated by all religions. And when I was younger, my parents were actually more secular, but more cultural. And I actually wanted more. I wanted more religion. I wanted more of the sense of the ritual. When I got to college, I started to study all different kinds of religion. Um, studied Islam a little bit, studied Christianity in depth and the roots of Christianity I actually wrote my college thesis on Les Miserables by Victor Hugo, the novel as a kind of retelling of the Christ story and became wow. deeply, deeply interested in morality and how different cultures perceive morality and what does it mean to be moral and good. And that, that has stayed with me. Um, there's, you know, deep, beliefs in Judaism around like tikkun olam and making the world whole and the idea of you, you save one life, you save the world entire. And I was really drawn to the, the Jewish idea of mitzvah, of doing good and being good. And actually considered, I think I told my philosophy professor when I was a freshman that I was going to become a rabbi. Um, so I'm actually, I have a lot of interest in, in religion as a whole and a lot of Judaism I'm drawn to, as I've gotten older, I'm really drawn to the connection to the earth. A lot of the Jewish rituals are based on the harvest and the lunar cycle and deeply connected to the earth. And that's, I like to bring that forward. And I like the idea, we don't practice it at my, at my house, but I, I do love the idea of Shabbat, which is basically just being with the family without technology on Friday night and Saturday. Like I just, it's just a very simple thing, but it's a yeah. strange time to be Jewish because I grew up certainly with the history of the Holocaust looming large. I lost a lot of family. My grandfather on my my paternal grandfather came here when he was 10 alone and was sent. His father had died uh, from influenza and his mother and his three sisters were left and they sent him as the boy to come over and be able to bring them over and they all perished. They were all um, sent to oh Treblinka. And so that lineage then affected him deeply and then affected my father deeply. So that was, that was a big part of my upbringing. And I really try and 
move out of the victim consciousness of that and into the idea that there's a survivor in there. And then my, let's see, that the sister of that brother, the one sister that got away actually emigrated to Palestine in 1922. So, you know, it's just an interesting lineage to have, but especially now I feel like it's such an inflammatory topic. Israel, Palestine, I believe in a two-state solution. But I just believe in humanity and, you know, connecting to people as human beings. And I think that we've lost so much of that in our culture. Hi, everyone. Welcome again to the Fullest Podcast. As you may or may not know, we've been sharing the benefits of Saffron with our community for a little while now, and I want to offer 15% off our entire product line to our podcast listeners with code the fullest podcast at checkout online at thefullest.com. Growing up in a Persian family, I'd always felt the benefit of saffron in my life, but it wasn't until I stumbled on the research that it made me realize what powerful medicine it is. Saffron has been proven over and over again in clinical double-blind placebo trials to be an effective form of treatment for depression, anxiety, and ADHD. Saffron has been used by many cultures for thousands of years for these purposes, and now the research is here to finally back it up, proving that plant medicines and ancient healing practices can actually be an effective alternative to pharmaceuticals. At the fullest, we believe that incorporating this ancient wisdom into our modern lives is the most powerful and accessible path to healing. We also believe that everyone's journey is unique, so our product line offers a variety of formulas to help you curate saffron into your personal wellness routine. Warm Feelings is our saffron latte powder and comes in individual sachets and in large sustainable glass jars. Featuring 150 milligrams of high-grade saffron in a creamy bed of coconut and cardamom, it's the perfect coffee alternative and feel-good start to your day. If you prefer to pop a pill, Kinder Thoughts is our 30-day supply of saffron capsules, and it's a super simple way to support your body and mood with the power of saffron. Not to mention, it's really amazing for headaches if you feel one coming on. Our saffron soaks are the latest addition to our product lineup, which include Exheal, our saffron salt bath blend, and Inheal, our probiotic-rich saffron milk bath blend. Soak in them to support your digestion, inflammation, and support your skin microbiome. Honestly, at the moment, I'm using each of these products on a daily basis depending on my needs. And to help you begin your saffron journey, we're offering a discount of 15% off just for our podcast listeners with code THEFULLESTPODCAST at checkout. I hope you enjoy your new daily saffron ritual. Because it goes back to the idea of labeling and the meme, right? Yeah, I mean, people I, are, yeah. Yeah, people aren't willing to go into the complexities and really understand the history and understand where where everyone's hurts are coming from, right? Why they're, why they're coming from where they're coming from or whatever. And not that everyone, even though, you, you know, it's not about like validating where, what everyone's coming from, but it, I think you and I have talked about this a lot. It's about not censoring. It's about listening. It's about um, being open yes. to hearing, right? And seeing it from all perspectives. Like I think one of the things that I'm most proud of in my work is I have clients all over the globe and I have a lot of Muslim clients who live in the Middle East. And yeah. I, it's one of the things that means the most to me because I just see human beings and the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is incredibly complicated. I have a lot of issues with, you know, Israel's choices. I'm, I'm an American citizen though. I am not an Israeli citizen. I'm an American citizen. Mm -hmm. And I have, a lot of issues with that. But then I also say, well, I'm an American and I emigrated here and I'm on colonial land. Like it gets really messy and complicated. And, I, yeah. um, and I think it's really easy to throw stones, but it's, 
it's become this such as inflammatory thing. And then on the other side, it's like, I remember this is really vulnerable and honest, but I remember spring of 2021, I was living in New Zealand and the Israeli-Palestinian war uh, broke out and there was massive uprising in anti-Semitism. And I saw no one on, let's say the left, because I, I follow everybody, right? I have the whole spectrum. On the left side, stand up. And then when Kanye, you know, when the whole thing went down with Kanye, it was like, oh, then everybody on the left, that my feed was filled with support. And I thought, oh, this is really interesting. And there is such misinformation around the word Zionist, which is such a inflammatory word. And it's like, can we just go back to the complexity of it and actually like Theodore Herzl and the 1800s and what was actually happening, you know, around this idea. But I just, to me, the whole, it's, it seems like it's all a game on social media. Like it doesn't feel like it's real. It doesn't feel like it's actually interested in human beings and the individual experience of human beings. There are black Jews, there are Arab Israelis, there are, you know, it's very layered and complex. And I just think we're in this day and age where everything is divided. And I'm just not interested in that game. I know. And I'm not either. And I, I've, I've, it's interesting because part of your um, history too is you've been really in, I mean, at some point you were like thinking of, I think running for politics, yes. right? Well, not running, but being in political media. Like I was obsessed with politics. I did my freshman year in DC because I thought I was going into politics. Although someone, my, um, my best friend, once I transferred to NYU said to me, I said, I can't wait, you know, to be in politics. It'll just be like the West Wing. She's like, you don't want to go into politics. You want to be on the West Wing. You want to like write for the West Wing. But I actually, this is interesting. I realized how much the West Wing like influenced my perspective on politics. And I had to really take a critical lens to that show, which had informed so much of my younger self. But yeah, I thought I wanted to go into politics because I wanted to be of service. And then as I got older, I was like, actually, I'm more of a creative and I'm not really interested in the political game and the game of it. And that became clearer as I got older. And I know Marianne Williams says, says that so much, you know, so many of the great movements, as she's mentioned, come from spiritual movements like MLK, right? As an example, like he was a preacher and a pastor and that kind of, was he a pastor? But he was, it came out of a religious belief, Mm -hmm. right? And I just think there is a connection if we go back to the root of religion, which is love. Like the root of all Mm -hmm. these religions is love. They just get bastardized. And Mm -hmm. I feel like right now, wokeism is a kind of religion. And it's like, repent, repent, repent. And I think it has a lot to do with the strong Aquarius in the collective. So we have Saturn in Aquarius. Then we had those eclipses, 2020 and 2021 in Sagittarius and Gemini, which is all about the narrative language. So language got policed. Then we had Saturn in Aquarius. Saturn is still in Aquarius until March of 2023. And then Pluto, March of 2023 goes into Aquarius. And I do worry it's kind of like the death of the individual. And I think that we're going to have some real reckoning around big tech. It's already starting to happen, right? And censorship. And I, I'm i pretty much a free speech absolutist. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I just, because who's policing? Who gets to decide? Who gets to decide? What makes that person the arbiter of truth? And do you think... Sorry to interrupt, yeah. but do you think, you know, I mean, you and I both were, I mean, I would say you more than me just because you were more involved or stayed up to date on politics, but I was, we were both very progressive, you know, and then I think we've both come to this place of, whoa, like, again, this whole thing seems like a game, both sides, what's going on. So I want to know for you personally like how it came mm-hmm. how you kind of took yourself out of it as a 
yeah. was very much involved um, personally in your personal life, just like staying up to date. And then how that also aligns logically with what was going on. And, you know, if that's been a more recent thing for you, I, I believe it hasn't for both of us. So how we can, I mean, even the fullest, right? Like we used to have a column that we would would share. And I, I just really, I think about it and I'm like, wow, I was so deep in it that I couldn't see the whole thing. And I, and you know, I, it's not that I, I, I sometimes think about going and deleting all of those articles because they still live on our website. And we've just grown so much since then in terms of our perspective. And again, just looking at everyone as human beings, like you're saying. So I'd just love for you to kind of give us a, yeah. an idea of what happened for you and how you've really shifted that perspective and just have this like wider mind on it. So... I think it was like very slow and then very fast, right? So I moved to LA in 2005, was still very embedded in my worldview. I remember I remember going to like a party with my then boyfriend when uh, when Obama won and like was just so deeply in it. And then I started to do inner work. So that was kind of the beginning of a of the breakdown. I got my master's in spiritual psychology and started to break down the paradigm that I was raised in. Uh, mostly like a very kind of left-brained paradigm, right? That's what I would say, especially growing up in New York City and uh, just the focus on the mind, right? On the mind, not from a consciousness perspective, but from educating the mind and what's education and what's indoctrination. That's a very complex line, right? So, but I was raised, yeah. I did go to amazing schools that taught me critical thinking. And I'm incredibly grateful for that because I used to get into arguments with my teachers. I did go to private school. I would get into arguments with my teachers and they always rewarded me for it, right? I was like, this doesn't make sense. What is this? What is this? And so I was raised to think critically in that way. So that seed was there from the time I was young to doubt, to question, et cetera. And it really, so when the pandemic broke out, I was definitely freaked out. Um, my dad's best, best friend of 70 years passed away in April. My mom then immediately was hospitalized after that. Um, a lot of people I knew were actually dying and I was like freaking out. I was like, I need to, I probably wiped down groceries, right? I was probably that deep in it. I'm really in a kind of oh my like scared state, right? And yeah. then the pandemic went on um, and in the summer of 2020, I came, I, Daniel was out, I think he was, surfing. I think he was allowed to surf at that point. And we got into arguments because he's a surfer and he's like, they can't shut down surfing. And I was like in it. I was like, yes, they can. Like, I didn't know what was happening. I was definitely all my fear was activated. And I remember being on a podcast and saying like, what's the big deal with a mask, et cetera. Right. And then more time went on. And then I was like, I think we should move to New Zealand. I think we should just, this is just the time to try it. It's the, it, I don't know how long this thing is going on. New Zealand at that point was not open to get into, but we could get into, we could get into quarantine and get in, right? This was summer of 2020, November, election day, 2020. We leave. Literally, I am like freaking out that Trump is going to be reelected. Like I'm, I'm deep in it, right? In that way. Like I was I had no idea. Oh yeah. I was like deep in it, right? Like checking, we, our flight was at night. It's like the, it hadn't come down. The, I was like, are we going to wake up in New Zealand and Trump's going to be president? Like I, it felt very much to me. Like I was one of those people that was like, if Trump wins, I'm moving to Canada, except it was New Zealand. And we were already in flight. Right. And he's a citizen. My partner's a citizen. And so we could have stayed there indefinitely. And so I'm wow. in New Zealand and we go through, we go through quarantine, which was, not so bad for me because I was actually like deep on Twitter, like what's going to happen with the election and watching the crown. That was my experience of, of 
like a horrific experience, not horrific, I shouldn't say that, like, but the food was terrible. I was like ordering in on like their, their Uber Eats. Oh Daniel was gosh. like freaking out because he's very athletic and very active. And we were stuck in a room for two weeks, right? I can't, and we made it through like as a couple. So then we get to New Zealand, we get in and we're in New Zealand, we're traveling all around and time is going on. And then spring of 2021 happens and the Israeli-Palestinian conflict breaks out. And I start to see how one-sided the news is, how just like clear, like there's no complexity in the reporting from even like the New York Times, which I was raised to believe was like, you know, the, like the golden standard, right? And so I'm like, something feels off and I, there was a sushi restaurant that Daniel and I always went to on La Cienega. And there was this big incident, this anti-Semitic incident that was really scary because it was a place that we had oh. gone to all the time. Yeah. Do you remember that? Hearing no, about that? No, I don't remember. So basically a bunch of people got out of a car and went up to the sushi restaurant and were like, who here is Jewish? And started like beating people up and the, the, <gasps> the, the owners had to call the cops. And that was, that really shook me. And then a kid was beaten up in New York city and he was a guy in his thirties. And I have a younger brother who's eight years younger. And it like, what if that happened to him? And I got really emotional and I was in New Zealand. I was far away from my family and people I loved. And I was like, this feels like it's ramping up. And I felt like the, the media was doing nothing to stop it. And I was like, yes. or to, or to even just like have an honest conversation, forget, stop it. Like, let's just have an honest conversation. Cause I am a free speech absolutist, but let's have a conversation about it. And so at that point I was like, okay, if this isn't balanced, what else isn't balanced? And I had kind of yeah. loosened up on my fear around the pandemic because months had gone by my mom, she did make it through, which is. It's kind of bizarre because my mother's really not in good health and hasn't been in good health for a long time. Um, and I started to just, re I was like, okay, well, where am I going to get independent journalism? And I started following this woman, Barry Weiss, who I have enormous respect for, enormous, enormous respect for. And just across the board started to say, well, what's happening? And then, and then, you know, with the, just like the wokeism and the conversation, I was like, something just feels off to me. I feel like we're not having real conversation. Everything feels like it's at the highest pitch and nothing feels like it's a measured response. Like I remember growing up and watching Charlie Rose, right? Who was me too but like he used to sit at a table, right? With someone and it was a black back screen, like just nothing on the back screen, just at a table, having a two hour conversation about an in-depth subject. I'm like, where is that? That doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Right. And so I was like, where is real journalism? And like the places that I had really gone for that, like the Atlantic and the New Yorker and maybe, you know, the New York Times magazine, like I didn't feel like I was getting honest reporting. And that really was the beginning of really waking. I don't know if you want to call waking it up. Just, just me saying like, where is the search for truth? And then also just kind of realizing that journalists throughout, you know, American history, a mostly journalists were blue collar. They were blue collar. And all of a sudden journalists became very white collar and incredibly mm -hmm. removed from what was happening on the ground. And mm. that was a big wake up call to me too. Cause I was like, if you're in an ivory tower and it's all about the Ivy league degree, by the way, raised to think the Ivy League degree was everything. So this was a big paradigm shift for me, right? Around yeah. the institutions that I had held up. Like I didn't go into an Ivy League school and I'm subpar and I would watch the West Wing and I'm like, they're all at Princeton and Yale and I didn't go there. And my sister went to Cornell and Yale and like, I didn't. And I was like, wait a second, what's happening at these institutions? And that was mm -hmm. a big shift for me. And then because of my astrological awareness of like the Aquarius and the group think that was happening, I started to really kind of question everything. And also uh, New Zealand's on my Uranus line. So in astrocartography, we have certain lines and literally my Uranus line goes right through New Zealand and uh, Uranus is like disruption, change, paradigm shifting. Wow 
And so I was experiencing just this. It was so challenging for me to be in New Zealand at that time. And I was incredibly unsettled. I was probably the most toxic I've been since like I was a like in my early 20s and like very kind of rageful at my parents, et cetera, in a kind of post-adolescent, adolescent way. I was really unsettled and uh, almost just, yeah. But there was this whole thing that was happening inside of me. And when I landed back in the States, I landed back genuinely a different person. And I, I just, that's really where I stand on it. It's like, I... I don't take anything at face value now, which I maybe is not the worst thing in the world. Maybe, you know, I was asleep for way too long. And uh, but there's no question that the nature and quality of reporting shifted over the past, really, since I would say 2015, 2016, yeah. when uh, yeah. Neptune and Saturn were square and the whole thing of like, what's true, what's not true, false news. And really like the shift in Facebook, you know, it the, the beginning of the algorithm versus the search for information, right? Like being fed information. I actually am not on Facebook anymore, but the idea of like, I like, I'm a, I like to explore and I like to dig. So I, I like to say, okay, let me go to this website. Let me, I don't want to be fed information. That's, that's not who I am as a person. It's not who I am in any way. You know, I, I like to discover when I travel, I don't want to have a list of everywhere. I like to wander and discover that's who I am. So, you know, it's been, it's been interesting. And I have clients across the entire political spectrum. Again, I'm really proud of that because I'm not here to convince anyone. I'm here to have a listening mind and an open mind. And uh, I used to be really aggressive when I was younger verbally in terms of politics. Like I could, I don't have it in me, but I used to like give, give zingers and like, I mean, I <laughs> I was, I could be cruel, you know, cause words were my weapon. And now yeah, I'm just like- you're so speaking and debating. I just feel like, I mean, I've gotten to like massive debates with my dad and he's like, see, this is, I raised you to be like this. I love this. I'm like, oi, okay. So we're at the table, like having these full on arguments and he's like loving it, you know, but he did raise me to question everything and to fight him. I mean, he, I don't know to fight, you know, to get the truth. The thing is that I'm just like fighting him to get the truth now, but I just, yeah, yeah, I just, I'm not interested in Pat answers on anything well what's happening is that people are afraid to well no one's sharing the history of anything and everyone's yeah. afraid of up against the against the group think right and so if you because if you speak out get canceled and then there can't be the actual conversation to figure out what's going on because you know, like for me, for example, I only know a portion of the history. Like, I don't, I don't know the history that goes back to the 1800s of what's going on in Israel. You know, that's what, I, that's that's the thing now, and everything is like current, and nothing has context. And also, it's like everyone's suddenly an expert on everything. Yeah, exactly. Right, and it's like, how about we just don't label races, ethnicities, medical statuses, like how about we just see people as human beings instead of like, oh, this is their religion, therefore they are mm -hmm. this. What? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't even understand that thinking. Like I just, people are people, they're individual. And also like, where are they coming from? What's their context? I guess that's the part of me that loves literature and art and storytelling because it's that whole thing. It's like, if you're standing right in front of someone, it's really hard to hate them. If you see their mm -hmm. world from their perspective. Yeah. But I love, I, I feel like so much of what you embody, I also see in Marianne too, because you're both so spiritual, but you're so, you know, politically aware and, I loved what you shared, what you had to say about um, just how 
it, you said something about it too, how Jews had to survive, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's like whole gene and that's why a lot of them have become so successful. And then now people are, I don't know, getting, it's, it's terrifying. It really is terrifying what's going on. And, and for you to come from this place of sharing, you know, what you shared, which was, why don't we allow this person to say what he has mm -hmm. to say? I, I want for you to share a little bit about that. And then just kind of tying it in astrologically too, like you said, I mean, you were kind of talking about group think, how long is that going on for, is going to be happening for Like, are we able to kind of wake up as a society? I mean, I, I pray. Just, I mean, I pray. I mean, look how fast for you. Yeah, right? I think, and, yes. And I think, and I'm not alone, you know, in my thinking. Yeah. And I think most people are somewhere in the middle. And I am, I think that it's the loudest voices that get the most attention. But I feel a lot of hope when I see, you know, people having measured, grounded conversations. And that's what keeps me going and gives me faith. And also just a reminder that there have been other pockets in American history. Like in 1939, like let's just take the anti-Semitism example, right? So in 1939, I believe it was 1939, Madison Square Garden was filled with a literal, everyone's calling everybody Nazis now, but literal Nazi rally. Madison Square Garden was filled to the brim, right? Uh, Charles Lindbergh was a huge Nazi sympathizer. A lot of people supported him. Like, this is not new, right? And yeah. this idea of like, what a, to me, when I think of American values and the reason that I love this country is free speech, like the First Amendment. It is key. And so is the freedom of religion. Like, also, people don't know that George Washington wrote um, a rabbi a letter. Um, when he was president saying like America can be a safe haven for the Jewish people. It's up in a synagogue, I think in Newport. I think it's Newport, Rhode Island. Wow. I could be wrong about that. But there's like, and also the first Jewish people to come to America actually came up from Brazil. So people don't know oh. that either. I actually didn't know that until recently. And there's, you know, but that that's going off track. But just the idea of like having these deeper conversations around our history, not our, not Jewish history, but just everyone's history and the complexity of it. Right. It's like, I don't know. I just think we're making ourselves so much dumber by not allowing these conversations. So when Kanye, first of all, no, no kind of mental illness or mental disturbance or pain excuses hate speech. 1000%. Mm -hmm. But let's have a conversation around it. Censorship just makes it worse. It just goes underground to fester. And so uh, what I wrote, I think I wrote this on Instagram was like, I, even when it's hitting my pain point, I believe in free speech. I mean, I think one of the most disgusting things about Ku Klux Klan members is like, show your effing face. If that's yeah. what you're going to say, like, show your face. The problem with the anonymity of social media is people are spewing things, but there's no accountability to it. Like, mm -hmm. if you believe that, show your face. Let's have a conversation about it. You know, it's like it's an absurd thing for Kanye to say that, like, the high rate in a, of abortion within the black community is Jewish people's fault. It's an absurd Anybody can say it's an absurd statement. Anybody with a solid mind says it's an absurd statement. But like, what is happening inside of him that he feels the need to have that? And let's then have a conversation about how these are ancient tropes, not the abortion one, but this, the idea of like, you know, Jewish people are this or that. Like they're, they've been used since the beginning, really since the beginning of time in a way, not the beginning of time, but if like um, we look at the, in Spain, the Inquisition, sorry, the name was escaping me. So the Inquisition, when a lot of Jewish people actually escaped Spain and Portugal because there was this rush to convert and this, 
this kind of like not not nothing like the Holocaust, but there was massive, massive prejudice. And a lot of these things was around the time of the printing press. And so a lot of these things were printed with these ideas of what Jewish people were, you know, and that they ate yeah. the blood of other people's children, whatever. You know, Shakespeare wrote The Merchant of Venice, which is all about... Uh, the prejudice against the Jewish people. And so these things aren't new. So the other thing is like, okay, Kanye, you think you're a free thinker, but you're actually just regurgitating things that have been said since the beginning, you know, for hundreds of years or millennia, like not actually that interesting. You may be a brilliant musician, yeah. but this is actually, so let's have a conversation about it. You know, I know in Germany and I think other countries, I think also in England, but don't quote me on that, hate speech is not allowed. So if you're inciting violence. And I, I tend to agree, I, I agree with that, but I'm also, it's a tricky line because who gets to decide mm -hmm. that and what is that? The government right. and then what is that? Yeah, and I think that my big arc has been, like I said, with the, with the West Wing, it was like, with that show, it was like, the government is filled with good, decent people trying to do good, decent things. And it was like, wait a second, if we actually look at human nature, the human desire for power and security and safety is a driving force. So why do you assume, and also this is what I also don't understand, if quote unquote, if we take sides, right? And it's like, if one side implements something that's okay when they're in charge, what happens when the opposite side takes control and they use that same thing for their side like what if this free speech exactly. thing came like okay you're pro-choice but then pro-life you know everyone who's in charge of government becomes pro-life and then if you've had an abortion you can't walk into a store what then because mm -hmm. that precedent has been set i know so it's really complicated and this is what's happened is we're living so short-sighted like what happens right now instead of like well, what's the context of this? What happens? And the brilliant, the the brilliance of a lot of the of the founders, right? If we just look at their brilliance in terms of saying, okay, how does this law apply in the worst case scenario, right? It's like, yeah, we're not doing that now. We're saying like, oh, this 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 works for me, but not when they're in charge. But they're going to be in charge because that's how the world works, and that's how energy works, and the pendulum swings. So it's like. Oh, Twitter's a private company. They can do whatever they want. But then the minute Elon Musk buys it, no, they, no, no, that's not okay. But the argument has to go both ways. And so that's just my belief system is like, you have to look at it from all sides. Like how, what's the effect of that thing? And I just tend to be very cautious and very wary of a strong centralized government. I, I feel a lot more comfortable with states' rights where the government's more localized. Right now, that makes me politically homeless. Yeah. And so what does that mean for, you know, the next few years? I think we've also been for so long, I believed that voting made a difference and not that I'm not going to vote, but it, when you feel politically homeless. And I believe it does for oneself because you exercise your right. Now, what happens on the other end of it? But I think for one's own integrity to go to the poll and say, at least I exercise my vote. There are so many countries around the world where that's not even a possibility. I mean, look at what's happening in Iran, right? And your family exactly. fled Iran. I was gonna say, if they don't even have the opportunity to vote. So that's why it's important to exercise that. I completely agree. And 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 also, can you really complain if you didn't try? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think it's, you know, we're also in the Pluto return of or we're basically just on the other side of Pluto return of the American, um, of the Declaration of Independence. And Pluto takes 248 years to grow in the Zodiac. And so there is this real kind of revolution that's taking place. And I, I don't know where it's gonna go, but anytime there is this big a gap in the concentration of power and wealth, you have a revolution. Like, look at the French Revolution. I mean, it's just as old as time. And so I really try and not buy into the fear narrative and really say, okay, what does this mean? Like, where does this lead us? Um, 
because it things have gotten out of hand, right? Like this concentration of power and wealth is is not healthy for a democracy in any way, shape, or form. And something's got to shake it up. And I don't know the answer to that. I don't propose to know the answer to it or how it does. But energetically, astrologically, historically, we are due for a major, major, major shakeup. And that's going to look really messy. Like there's, that's not going to look pretty. Yeah. I mean, I look at gas prices, for example, in California, it's like, what, almost $8? Right. It's three here in Tennessee. I was in Florida, yeah, (laughs) over the weekend and it was like three something. And I was like, wait, what? Like, how is that possible that, and Eric was like, well, it's all taxed. And then I was like, wait a minute, it's all taxed. And and then you kind of go back to the, uh, you know, the tax on tea when the country was first. Bingo, bingo, that's it, that's it. It's the same thing. It's like the taxation without representation and the idea of like, you're taking my tax dollars and you're making choices, right? It's like, and, you know, be one thing if California's roads were cleaned up and the homelessness wasn't an issue and it was really like Eden, but it's not. And I think that it's like, how can we be wiser with our resources and yeah, like, in t- and I think about, you know, the way that I think about that is like, what if you're an Uber driver? So you've got to pay them, you've got to pay for your car, your, your, um, your gas is through the roof and you're making like nothing basically. And how are you surviving? How is someone who's trying to start a company to really find their way in the world and they're young and they're an entrepreneur, how are they supposed to make their way in the world? Like it with that, that much working against them. Like, I just think, I think about when my dad was coming up, you know, we talk about this all the time. He's like, my dad didn't graduate seventh grade. He became an entrepreneur. He was quite successful. He employed a lot of people, you know, it's like he pulled himself out of poverty and Yes, it took a lot of factors for that to happen, but just in just the seed of it, it's like it was possible. I don't buy right now that it's as possible as it was in the 70s. There's no way. Right? There's no way. It's like it's really problematic, and I, and something's got to correct that. Like it used to be that a mechanic could raise a family on his wages. That should be the case. Like, and I also, this is what I, if there's anything that riles me up more than anything is the disregard for the working class and farmers of our world. How do people think that they eat? How do people think that their electricity in their homes work? How do they think their plumbing works? How do they think their houses get built? Like, I will never, ever understand looking down on people who are working class ever I think it is, it it gets, it actually makes me quite emotional. Like, because I think it's like, I, I don't understand not having respect for people who have the basic skills that most people, the way I was raised, I basically don't know how to do anything. Daniel has to teach me to do everything because I didn't (laughs) have those basic skills. Right. And so I have enormous respect for that. And people like I have a good friend and she's a rancher. brilliant, brilliant woman. She's a rancher. And we were talking about how like, you know, she has to slaughter the pigs when then she tries to do it with as much dignity and little pain, but like she is up close to death and the cycle. And whether you're a vegan or you eat meat or et cetera, like in order for us to consume, like a plant has to die in order for us to eat it. Right. There's like, so I just, I can never understand disrespecting people who are up close to the essence of how our world operates. Like, I, mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. Maybe that's- And like- there's with the left, I will say, because I remember at, at some point, like I used to be like, oh my gosh, why are all these people voting for Trump? Like, do they not know that he hates them and he doesn't want to help them one bit? Like they have no, they're basically dumb. You know, that was just like what I thought. 
they're not what I what I would say is like they're just not educated enough. And it's like actually they are in it day in and day and day out and they know what's going on and there's a reason for why he won originally. You know, and and I think that we just disregard like you said we disregard other people's perspectives and their reasoning we just label i label the entire half of our population over half considering he won as racist right yeah so i feel yes and the person who really started to wake me up to that is a guy named chris arnotti and chris arnotti was he i think he has a phd in physics uh, might have a master, but he was on Wall Street. And when the crash happened of 2008, he had a kind of wake up call and was like, something is off here. And he started going up to the Bronx and photographing addicts. And that led him down a path where he got kind of an old beat up car and started driving across the country and stopping in all of these towns that had been decimated by the opioid crisis and what was going on. And he, there's a book that he wrote, it's his photos and his writings uh, called Dignity. And I would, I followed him quite religiously and he's continued with this work. And it has, it just moved me to the core because that is what people want. They want respect and dignity and they want to be able to make their way in the world. I mean, it is so demoralizing to not be able to make your way in the world. And I think like, I just, he really changed, he really changed my belief. And that, that was 2016. I feel like that I started to really follow him. So the seeds were planted then. And he talks all about front row kids and back row kids and the idea of like, uh, front row kids being like in education, in the educational system and having a leg up, et cetera. But think about the, the cost of college. I loved college. I didn't miss a single class. I love school. I am that person, but I, I loved it. It is not necessary to get a liberal arts degree in order. It shouldn't be necessary to get a liberal arts degree in order to get a job. That's just absurd. And I just, I don't know, it really started to open my world and my whole paradigm has shifted. And so I really hold the energy of perhaps, I don't know, you know, let me learn more about that. Um, Really try and maintain that humility and always see the human being in front of me. And so, you know, when I think about like family gatherings, it's like, these are people that you love. Yes, you may have stuff with them, their family, it brings up stuff, but like, Look at the person first. Like, and we're not doing that. We're not. And it is a really difficult thing to practice. I yeah. mean, families obviously like canceled people yes. for not getting vaccinated and didn't yeah. let them come to their gatherings because of that. And that was like also because they were so deep in the paradigm. And it's interesting because I feel like I was from the beginning really just weary of it. Whereas you're coming from a place of you were deep in it during that yeah and then yourself out which i think is so promising you know (laughs) and i Mm -hmm. but again like i have family members that have completely different views than i do and they have been very gracious and you know they are willing to set their ideas aside and basically just, but their whole thing is they don't talk about, like I'm not allowed to really talk about it and they don't really talk about it or they change the subject if I bring something up. Whereas I think it's an interesting, if we're asking, if you and I are asking people to just sit down and have a a conversation that is complicated, but be willing to, because that's really what we're asking is have these conversations just trying to understand where the other person's coming from instead of getting heated. Because if we have them at our family gatherings, then then the world can be having them, right? Because it starts somewhere. But then at the same time, how do we go into the holidays where it's already such a heated time where people bring in their own emotional shit of like wishing things were a certain way and then the state of the world and inflation and all that. I mean, it's just... It's so heightened. Yeah, I'm not Pollyanna about it. I I understand. I just think that there is, 
it takes a lot of work and a lot of practice, but I think it's also sometimes it's okay to not discuss politics. Yeah. You know, and find the common ground. So you know, your family members that just want to be with truth and grace and like play with them, like that's okay yeah. too, you know? And I think that I mean, that's the beauty of children, right? Is that they bring out, ideally, they bring out that loving in people and that kind of connection. But I think if we if we root in the connection first, the dialogue can happen. But if we try to yeah. rush to the dialogue or the conversation, it often gets heated. So I also think it's like really seeing underneath, like circling back to the Israeli-Palestinian thing. Like I have definitely asked myself, like, well, what if it's, all not true and like what if israel shouldn't exist and when i i entertain that side of it because i can't really come to my conclusion unless i've entertained the complete opposite like i can't yeah. in good faith do that and you know what i came to for myself and i recognize that other people may disagree is that a two-state solution which is very complicated and this is like the oldest conflict in history and i it's, you know, I don't see that happening anytime soon, but that is like, that is what I hold is that the Palestinian people deserve dignity for themselves and from their leadership. And the Jewish people deserve dignity from their self and from their mm -hmm. leadership. And, you know, that is my core belief. And there's an incredible, incredible novel. It's not actually a novel, but it's by Colin McCann, who's actually an Irish writer, one of our greatest writers. And, uh, meaning like, modern day and he wrote a book called the paragon and it is a paragon has like infinite sides and it's basically a retelling of these two men who both lost their children to the israeli palestinian conflict who have come together to build a charity but it's all the different angles and it's told in these ellipses it is such a brilliant piece of work to show you just how complicated it is it's probably the most important it, sh it should have won the nobel peace prize if you ask me it's like there's no clear answer to it. It's all layered. And so I can see it from all the angles, but, and that's it. Not by, I want that, it's an, it's an exquisite, exquisite work. And I just, it's very complicated and life is very complicated and we seem to want pat answers, but I will just never surrender my belief in the mystery and the complexity and that, there are rarely easy answers. And the simple truth is that there is no simple solution. I, I love that you, you had to ask yourself, like, what if it's not, you know? Yeah. What if the whole thing's not true or whatever? And I think it's so important to come to every decision or every idea in that way, come with a blank slate. I mean, I recently was at um, a, the church where truth goes to was having a meeting um, to see if, you know, the cell tower that's in the steeple of the church is going to be removed or not. And we ended up losing by 10 votes only. But this one, in the process of it all, I was so inspired because this neighbor had spoken and he said, you know, I'm just asking the people of the church to come to, there was like a lot of conversation prior to the vote. And so he was just saying, it sounds like a lot of people have already made up their mind without listening to yeah. anything anyone has been saying this whole time. Like, what if we all came with an open mind? Like, maybe my mind would even change. I'm a neighbor. I want yeah. this gone. But what if my mind would change, you know? And I was just, and I think that at the end of the day, too, and this, you know, I think maybe it would be a beautiful note to end on, too, astrologically and our, what we can really understand about ourselves and the world around us. And, but for me specifically, like I came in with the agenda of, I want the cell tower gone. Mm -hmm. My son goes to the sweetest little preschool. This is, I didn't know about this. It was hidden in the people of the church and that's wrong and it should be removed mm -hmm. and whatnot. And like him continuing to go to the school is like the most thing to me, right? And I want him to go, I love the teacher, whatever. And so we lost the vote, I was devastated. And then I was like, it took me a few days and I was like, you know what? This is the best thing because my son mm -hmm. is only four years old and I just want to take and spend as much time with him as I mm -hmm. possibly can. 
gets older and maybe he doesn't need to go to school. Maybe I just need to re redo or re change the way I manage my employees and my work so that I can spend more time with them during the day and maybe work at night or do something. Not that everyone has that ability to do that, but for me specifically, I do. And so I'm looking at it so differently as a blessing that what I thought I wanted, maybe I didn't need. And I just feel like mm. we can totally come to so many things in our lives with that sort of a mindset of, okay, well, maybe I can, you know, make light of this and figure out why this could work and benefit. Not that someone in, you know, in deep in the war in Israel Palestine is going to have the same, you know, thought process, but there are a lot of modern day, you know, things that happen that aren't as big of a deal as we make it. And most of the people listening to this podcast are probably in that camp, right? That's exactly it. And I think we just keep it open. And it's like my ideas on any of these subjects is not fixed. It's a moving target because if it were fixed, then I would not be growing and evolving. Right. And someone else, they may be very fixed in their standpoint. And it's like and I can recognize that from where they come from. But it's like my I I feel that my job in my work with my clients, but also as a citizen of the world is to remain open to dialogue and to listen deeper. And I really, I, I read from all angles. I try to not get caught up in the, the political firestorm, like the game of the politics, but in terms of policy, I try and keep an open mind and not just say like, oh, anything coming out of, you know, X, Y, and Z is wrong or anything coming out of X, Y, and Z. Like, I don't want to live my life like that. Like that feels incredibly restrictive instead of, oh, well, that's an interesting idea. I could learn from that. Or that's an interesting idea. And I kind of come back to the idea of process, right? Like when I'm, I love learning about different artists process or like, I love the Netflix show chef's yeah, table. Yeah. I love like, what is their process? How do they how do they work? Like, how does that, and everything has become politicized. And I really just, I'm interested in people's process, whether they, whatever work they do, whether they're a farmer or an artist or, you know, a journalist or whatever, what is the process? What motivates them? And that is what interests me because I'm interested in the human being and that's my work. Right. And I just think I don't need to see everything through a political lens because I see things through a human lens. That's so beautiful, Danny. I just love you so much. Thank you for coming on and sharing with us and always sharing your perspective and giving such a beautiful insight into what's going on in the world and just astrologically and just being so in tune. I really appreciate you. I'm so grateful that we've known each other for well, you know, almost a decade now. And again, I just am such a fan of yours. I'm so, it has been so beautiful and thank you for holding such a safe space because I know we, I know we walk through some gnarly or difficult conversations. So it just, I just have so much respect for you and how you navigate the world and how you mother and how you, just how you move through the world. It's really beautiful. 